Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream from the Paul Korea studio. I am your host, Alexis Downey. I hope your week is going smoothly. It's a short one as we had Monday off here at the Anaheim Ducks, hence why there was no episode. Now, looking back at my weekend, it was really nice to reset before the game on Monday against Pittsburgh. I spent the day on Sunday at Big Bear Mountain skiing, my first time there, and uh, it was great. I had a nice afternoon on the slopes. It was snowing. The snow was a little sticky, though, and a little heavy. So at the bottom of the mountain, it was a little more slushy than I would have liked, but still great to get out on the mountain for a day of skiing. Like I mentioned, the Ducks are on the road for this week and for next week for six games. They're gone for a while before they come back home on January 28th. And as a part of that, they've already played two of those six games in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia on Monday and Tuesday this week. Now, both of them were unfortunately losses. Pittsburgh in overtime loss four to three on Monday night. And then in Philadelphia on Tuesday, as a part of the back-to-back, the Ducks lost 5-2 against the Flyers. So let's go in-depth more to take a look at what happened in those games for the Ducks as a part of AD's takeaways now. The Ducks only had 27 shots on Monday and 29 on Tuesday, not putting a lot of pucks on net, resulting in why the Ducks have not been able to get many goals in the back of the net. Now, the team did keep the same lineup for both games, except for in net. John Gibson playing on Monday in Pittsburgh and then Anthony Stolarz in the net in Philadelphia. So I'll be curious to see what kind of changes, if there are any, that will be had in the lineup in Columbus on Thursday. But looking at the game against the Penguins on Monday, John Gibson was back in his hometown and he looked strong This was a good game for him. I'm certainly sure he came into this one fired up being in front of his family and friends. This also was a close to home game for me. Shout out to my parents and my sister for making the short trip to Pittsburgh to cheer on the Ducks. I wish I could have been there as well, but I'm really glad that they were able to make it and see a good hockey game. This was also the first time that Ricard Raquel matched up against his former team in the Ducks. He's now on the Penguins, and it was a big night for him as he ended up having three points with three assists leading the Penguins. So when I watched this game, after watching the first part of the first period, I really didn't have a good feeling about where the Ducks were at. The Penguins were out skating them. They were checking hard, creating a lot of space in the zone. But after that, the Ducks did fight back and honestly played a solid game. I thought they looked pretty good. Adam Henrique did manage to get a power play goal, and the Ducks went two for four on the night in that area. So great to see the power play getting some production. But overall, I mean, the ending to this game was just really unfortunate, and you have to feel for the team when you work so hard in the game, especially for goaltender John Gibson and then just don't get the result you want. It's very frustrating, I can imagine. It was frustrating for me to watch as well. There was a late goal from Brian Rust for Pittsburgh that did force the overtime, and going into overtime, I always feel pretty good about it because we've seen so much success in overtime with the Ducks this season, but this just wasn't the case on Monday night. Jake Gensel scored the winner after some end-to-end action, 
But I guess if you look at it this way, the Ducks did get a point in this one, but a win and two points would have been a lot nicer, especially when they knew they had to fly that night to Philadelphia to do a back-to-back game. So then going into the game on Tuesday night in Philadelphia, I wasn't sure how the guys were feeling after that tough loss on Monday, and it showed through on the ice. The Ducks losing 5-2 to two in regulation in this one. And for the Flyers, Kevin Hayes netted a hat trick for Philly, the first of his NHL career, and he completed it on an empty net goal at the end of the game. The Ducks did continue to find the back of the net on the power play, though, in this game, going one for three. So that was a positive sign. Also, Anthony Stolarz got the start in net on that night, and he made some pretty good saves. I thought he looked good in the net, pretty calm, but... You know, some turnovers led to opportunities that the Flyers were able to put some of their goals in the back of the net. On the Ducks side, though, Adam Henrique now has a goal in each of his last three games. His goal tied it up in the second period against the Flyers, so that was a good sign for sure. Great to see Rico getting some offensive points. And also on the points end, Trevor Zegras has points in his last seven of eight games after he assisted on Rico's goal. Ultimately, another game not getting the result that they wanted. The team did fly out on Tuesday night to Columbus for their next matchup against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Thursday. So hopefully this day of rest on Wednesday is good for them. And I will have a little bit more of a breakdown on the games from Monday and Tuesday night with today's guest. But for now, we can go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL over the last couple days. Going back to Monday night with the Washington Capitals and New York Islanders game, it was a battle in the Metropolitan Division at UBS Arena. Tom Wilson netted his first goal since being back this season after he had ACL surgery, so a good sign for the Capitals. Now, the Islanders had the Caps blanked after one period of play, 2-0, and then they also then added another early goal in the second period, But Washington completed a three-goal comeback in this game to force overtime after TJ Oshie scored the tying goal in the third period. And it was Dmitry Orlov who netted the winner 427 into overtime after working passes with Oshie in the Islanders' zone. The Capitals now have 54 points in the Metropolitan Division for fourth place right now, while the Islanders sit with 50 points in sixth place. John Walton has the call of the winner from the Island. Center point Orlov to Dimitri far wing. Milano cycles out low here for Orlov. A shot, he scores! Dimitri Orlov wins it in overtime for Washington! Good morning! Good And good night, New York. The Capitals from three down come back to defeat the Islanders here at UBS Arena. Final score, four to three. And there was another divisional matchup, but this time on Tuesday between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Florida Panthers in the Atlantic Division at Scotiabank Arena. Now, looking at this game, the Panthers only managed 19 shots on goal, which is a bit surprising if you look at the team that they were a year ago when they were just an offensive powerhouse, putting a lot of pucks in the back of the net. But in this game, they still were able to score on four of those shots, getting four goals. 
On the other side with Toronto, William Nylander was the one to close out this game, taking the puck through the neutral zone and putting it past Sergei Bobrovsky to win the game 5-4 to four for Toronto. He was also the one to net the game-tying goal in the third period. Now, as a part of that, Mitch Marner assisted on that game winner, and he set a new Leafs franchise record with a 19-game home point streak. Marner has been having a fantastic season in Toronto. And the Leafs now have 61 points behind Boston in that Atlantic division, while the Panthers have 47 points through this season right now. Joe Bowen has the call of the game winner. Leafs have the puck back in their own zone. Brought out now by Timmons. Dropping for Nylander. Nylander hits the line. Marner's on with a Nylander to the front of the net. He scores! Holy Mackinac, what a move! Willie Nylander cuts across the goal crease and scores the winner in overtime! And in similar fashion to Willie Nylander, Seth Jones also netted the game-tying goal as well as the overtime winner on Tuesday, but this time for the Chicago Blackhawks at the United Center. And the Hawks were down 3-1 to one after two periods of play, but a third-period rally was what kept Chicago in their game. And Jones's goal in the third period came with just 56 seconds remaining in the game to force that overtime. These were the third and fourth goals for the defenseman this season. You can listen to the call of the winner from Blackhawks' John Weideman now. Johnson the other way through center ice with Seth Jones, two on one and OT. Johnson over the line in front to Jones. He scores! Seth Jones with an overtime goal, it's second of the night. And the Blackhawks finish the longest homestand on the season with an exciting overtime win over the Buffalo Sabres. 4-3, the Hawks win in overtime. In the final game on Tuesday night, the Edmonton Oilers and Seattle Kraken facing off. This was an important win for the Oilers, who sit in fourth place in the Pacific and are looking to fight for that spot just ahead of them with the Kraken. Now, this was the first loss that the Kraken have had on the road as of late. They've been having a lot of success. I'll have more on that in a second. Connor McDavid for Edmonton skated his way past four Kraken players and straight to the net for his goal early in the game. It was a very McDavid-like goal, I would say. If you saw it, go check it out if you haven't seen it. But in the meantime, you can listen to the call of it now from Ched Radio, 6.30 a.m. Sit down low. It comes free for Dreisaitl. Now through the middle for McDavid. He'll bring it into the Seattle end. He'll go towards the net. He'll shoot. Scores! Connor McDavid! What a rush up the ice! He fires it all. Edmonton now has four wins in a row and are certainly making their case. But like I just mentioned, the Seattle Kraken have been outstanding on the road as of late. I'd be remiss not to mention this road success. The Kraken had a recent seven-game road trip that was a success as they had wins in all seven of those games, not to mention they were all regulation wins. So they're now 8-2 and two in their last 10 games and have an impressive 16-5-2 record on the road this season. It kind of makes you wonder, what are they doing on the road that they've been so successful? 
must be some of that team chemistry that they're building up in their second season. And it also helps when you have a star rookie and Maddie Beneers, who is second for points on the team right now with 36 of them. And one last thing that I'd like to mention on the NHL front on this day in 1958, Willie O'Ree became the first black player in NHL history, making his debut with the Boston Bruins. That was exactly 65 years ago. Certainly a very special moment in NHL history. Now for today's guest interview in this next segment, we are joined by Steve Carroll. Steve shared more from the road on his preparation for games and what all goes into that and what his game day routine looks like. And he's had a lot of years of practice to do this, so he's got it down pretty good. You can listen in now in this next segment. Joining Light the Lamp now again is the voice of the Ducks here on Duck Stream, Steve Carroll. Steve, you're joining us from the road in Columbus today. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, getting near the halfway point of the trip. Still have four games to go, but uh, looking forward for the upcoming games uh, later this week and next. And then, of course, being home with all of you folks with the Anaheim <laughs> Ducks organization and seeing the great fans at Honda Center when we uh, play some games at home for a while. So uh, all is good, except we need a few wins here before we come home. <laughs> well, the trip started in Pittsburgh last night in Philadelphia. Uh, looking at those games, I mean, the team obviously not off to the start that they wanted on this road trip, but obviously the game against Pittsburgh was a bit impressive for the team. But what were some of your takeaways from those two games? Oh, boy. Uh, well, we can do some things better. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Uh, I think let's start with last night. A uh, little disappointed with the outcome of that game, although I think Philadelphia is a better team than we are right now. But the fact that the Flyers uh, play the Boston Bruins and get shut out six to nothing, and then we had a pretty good opportunity to win a game uh, the night before in Pittsburgh, that was a little disappointing. But mm -hmm. the thing that really sticks out to me not only uh, last night, but also the game in Pittsburgh is, you know, we have to we have to do a better job of staying out of the penalty box. That's one thing that comes to mind, uh, and I think some of the guys commented to the uh, writers here, uh, you know, hey, what we got to do is keep the penalties down to one or two a game and not give these other teams that are able to score goals uh, the opportunity on power plays. Uh, in the game against Philadelphia last night, I believe we killed off four of five. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, I agree with this, but the coaching staff will tell you one or two penalties should be the norm during the game. But when you give the other team so many opportunities to score, that hurts. And then on the other side, we did have some power play opportunities in those two games. We got two against Pittsburgh. Henrique had uh, the first one and Klingberg had the second. And then... Uh, Last night, we did get one, but it was too little and too late. So we need to do a better job when we have special teams opportunities like that, both on the penalty kill and power play, and actually produce the numbers to keep yourself in the hockey game. So that's the big thing that uh, comes to my mind. And uh, going back to last night, Alexis, uh, I – you, you try to look for a positive or two in a game. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, we were in that game against Pittsburgh to the end, of course, but uh, weren't really in the game at all against Philadelphia. But 
I want to give some kudos out to Anthony Stolarz. Hmm. You know, you hear a lot about John Gibson, things like that. And granted, Philadelphia got five goals. Uh, Hayes had the hat trick. But I'm telling you what, Philadelphia could have gotten nine or ten goals last night in that hockey game. And he did a terrific job of just making saves, especially in the first and second period before they you know, blew it wide open. But he's a guy that's been a backup goaltender pretty much most of his NHL career. He's a great guy off the ice, but he was outstanding, Mm -hmm. even though Philadelphia got five goals. And I think sometimes we uh, tend to forget things like that, but he kept us in the game. He's a professional. He's a great guy off the ice, but you don't want to put a guy like that in a situation that he was forced to be in when uh, the Flyers eventually scored five goals. So wanted to give him a shout out because it wasn't about him last night. It was some of the other things, uh, you know, turnovers, things like that, that cost us the game. You know, it's interesting, too, when you talk about having so many penalties to kill during a game. It really wears down the guys that have to kill those penalties off, too. I mean, five of them that takes a toll on the group that's on the ice. And you can imagine also the guys that are sitting on the bench that aren't penalty killers are getting a little antsy in those moments. I'd imagine too. Yeah. And uh, it does wear and tear on you too. And there are some guys that are pretty good players for your team that are on those special teams, whether Mm -hmm. it be penalty kill or power play in particular. And uh, it just, it just brings you down. And then if the opposition is going to score a goal or do some things that help their cause to help themselves win a game. Well, mentally, I think it takes a toll on you and you just can't be in those situations on an every night basis. And, you know, that's, what's been happening. It's not only our hockey club, but other teams that have been struggling this year too have the same sort of situations. And then think about the the pressure you put on a goaltender, especially Mm -hmm. when the other teams on the power play and they're getting what 40 to 50 shots a game, uh, for the most part, we had, what, 39 against us last night in Philadelphia, I believe. But you just can't win hockey games if you're giving up that many shots. And on the other side of things, you're not producing enough shots to create some offense. And, mm-hmm. you know, one other thing talking about this, like Philadelphia scores a power play goal in the first period. So they're up uh, by that score. You you just can't afford to fall behind early in games like we have. And I don't have the exact number, but how many games this year have we been trailing in a game two nothing mm-hmm. early? It just seems like yep. every other game that happens, whether it be at home or on the road, you can't do that because it also puts pressure on the goaltender to make saves, but then you're fighting from behind. It gives the other team an advantage. And that's something that we need to do score a first goal and uh, get a little bit of uh, distance between the two. But as you know, uh, I think it's much tougher to do that on the road than in your home building. But that's an area, I think, too, that needs uh, improvement. And that comes with being prepared for the game, Mm -hmm. making sure you're in the right uh, mental frame, physical frame to go out there and win the hockey game. And I think sometimes when you fall behind and mentally you become drained, and I think it has an effect on you. And when you're not scoring goals, it's like, oh, here we go again. And sometimes I think that happens. Now, still four games on this road trip that you're on. And like I mentioned, you're in Columbus right now. Still have Buffalo, Arizona, and Colorado. But I'm curious, I mean, what's life on the road like for you? What Do you have a routine every day you wake up? I'm sure it depends if there's a game that day or practice. But what are some of the things that you like to do on the road? You're going to find this extremely boring. So <laughs> I apologize ahead of time to you and the listeners there. Uh, I know a lot of Ducks fans over the years, but... Uh, 
that's kind of my life on the road, honestly. Now, back in my 20s and 30s, I like to go out to a nice restaurant, eat something, and uh, enjoy some friends or people that I know in town, see family that are all over the country. And uh, I don't do that anymore. You're going to think this is crazy, and I don't mean to promote myself in the health department, but as you get older, you want to take care of yourself. So basically, I have a routine almost every day on the road where I'm up in the fitness center at 536 in the morning. Mm. in there for a couple of hours and get uh, all cleaned up for that uh, big morning skate. And I'm over there doing some of the paperwork in the early afternoon, uh, watching TV, watching the NHL network to get the updated news and notes. And then by that time, you're ready to go to the game. And on the nights like last night, for instance, we flew out right after the game, as we did the night before against Pittsburgh. So you're getting into the uh, other city hotel sometimes at one or two in the morning. So then you just mm-hmm. try to sleep as much as you can. And uh, there are days I don't go to the fitness center till about nine or 10. I have to be honest with you, but uh, <laughs> for the most part, I enjoy doing that, taking care of myself, uh, grab a quick bite to eat at lunch and uh, just prepare for the hockey game and uh, a little bit different at home. Use your home with family and mm-hmm. uh, you have a little bit more time, but uh, that's kind of my uh, boring life right now. <laughs> Well, do any of the, the cities that you still have left on the road trip, any of them you like more, or do you have a favorite place to visit? Well, you know, it's funny, you know, with the COVID, when we weren't traveling as broadcasters, we did the games at Honda Center, and uh, we didn't uh, go as much as we used to, but uh, teams like Columbus and Buffalo, just for instance, and uh, you can put Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, they're in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. So when you go to these cities, you're only going there once a year anyway. And a lot of times you're on back-to-back. I worked in Philadelphia for about a year and a half back in the 90s. And, you know, those were a lot of back-to-backs because you'd either play maybe like the Rangers doubles back-to-back. Maybe it's the Islanders doubles. So if you're on the road in particular, you got two games to prepare for. And you want to get through them and try to do as best a job as you can on an every night basis. So you're really not doing a whole lot except preparing for games. And uh, like I said, I, I enjoy watching the other hockey games when we're on the road, but at home, a little more time to catch up with uh, family on some things you might've missed when you were gone or just go out to dinner and uh, just get relaxed. And that was so enjoyable when we had that 10 game homestand, to be <laughs> honest. And uh, I know we have an eight gamer coming up in mm-hmm. March, but uh, that's, that's, Pretty much it. Uh, Nothing really that uh, is out of this world, especially during the hockey season. I think if you travel and want to go on a vacation or uh, spend some time with some friends and family, well, you can do that during the off season. So I watch a lot of hockey. I know you guys do too. (laughs) And uh, that to me is a good time just being in my room watching that. Well, the first time we had you on, this wasn't something that we talked about. And I think for anyone listening, they might be curious to know more about what goes into your preparation for games. And is it different when you're on the road than when you're at home? But I I know that it definitely depends on the schedule of the day for the team. But walk me through your preparation for a game. Well, at home, it's a lot easier because you have access. You can go to the practice over at Great Park Ice or if they're skating at Honda Center. And you have more access, is the key word, to our uh, really good PR staff. And I mean that sincerely. They do a terrific job because when you go into some of the other cities, uh, maybe you don't get uh, what you're looking for until maybe right before game time. So we're lucky we have the staff that we do there. And 
you know, you can get that in advance too. When you go on the road, for instance, uh, let's just say the back-to-back here with uh, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, you don't get a lot of the information till maybe two or three hours before the game time. Or uh, if you have a morning skate, you can maybe grab something. Uh, you can talk with visiting broadcasters, with newspaper people, and do the audio part of it. But for the most part, uh, you just look up things on your computer, uh, you know, the news. I watch the NHL Network uh, religiously, I'm telling you that. Mm. And uh, if there's a game on featuring Pittsburgh, like there was the other night, I watch uh, two periods, three periods at times, and uh, you can watch and pick up little news notes items. So it's tougher on the road, and especially when you're playing these teams in the East only one time. And uh, that's that's the difference in my mind. But, uh, you know, even if you don't get what you're looking for, usually you're there on a morning skate, and you can talk to people and uh, get the starting lineups. And once you've seen a team, uh, like – for instance, teams in our division, you know, we've played a number of those teams two or three times already. It's a lot mm-hmm. easier because for me, the most important thing is getting the names right. Mm-hmm. And you've got to get pronunciations. And let me tell you just a quick story sometimes how tough that is, though. Okay. And I'm not going to mention names, but <laughs> this happens a lot. We were playing a team on the recent homestead. I won't tell you who it is, but I made a call the day before to get some uh, pronunciations on guys that had the first name that began with J's. There were three of them. So I was told a certain way, like a hard J. All right, I get to the rink the next morning, and all of a sudden, two of the three have changed to a soft J. So two of the guys have uh, soft J's, like a Jonas instead of Jonas. So now you know who the team is. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you have that. And then come game time, I'm going into the national TV booth, and they're calling all three guys with a – sound like a soft Y. So I had three different people telling me three different <laughs> pronunciations of the name. And we just agreed here, uh, Dan, myself, Josh, and that just uh, do it the way we know how it's been. And uh, our go to the home broadcaster, road broadcaster of the team, because most of the time you get uh, to know them, you ask them when they join the team. But Sometimes that changes in a course of morning to night. It's amazing how that works. But uh, (laughs) that's what happens. That might be the toughest thing because you want to call the name right. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we have pre-recorded name pronunciations in our organization, which is great because there's no excuse. When a guy says his name, you know how to say it. So other than that, it's it's a very professional league uh, 99% of the time and uh, you get what you want and you just try to do the best you can to prepare and do a good broadcast. You know, that's one of the unique things about hockey is the names. It, they're a lot more difficult than a lot of other sports leagues, I feel like, and maybe I'm biased, but it's really important to get them right. And it, that is a tough thing, especially for broadcasters. Yeah, well, especially when you got family at home, somebody tunes Absolutely. it in and goes, who's that? We don't say our <laughs> name that way. Or, hey, they got it right. And, uh, you know, there's there's players, not only in our sport, but all over the world that play baseball, football, basketball, mm-hmm. you name it. Uh, the Olympics, that's got to be tough for those announcers mm-hmm. with all the different names from the uh, teams uh, far away from the U.S. So, yeah, I think it's important, you know, on a personal basis, you want them to get your name right, too. And sometimes there's four or five syllables in a name, and I can go on and on and talk to you for two hours about that over the years. But (laughs) you just do the best you can and uh, hope that you're doing it right sometimes. And here's the other thing, Alexis. 
hockey's a fast sport. Mm-hmm. So you're saying those names very quickly. So sometimes you might slur it a little bit and you're just hoping, well, I hope nobody heard that, but the play's <laughs> so fast and they got three guys on the same line with long last names, four or five syllables. You're just trying to pace yourself to get it right. So, uh, there's a lot of things like that that go on behind the scene that maybe people don't think about, but uh, you just do the best you can in the long run and hope that you get it right, eh, what, uh, 95% of the time, 100%. What's your technique to memorizing names and numbers? Do you look at the lines? Like, what? what's the technique for you, especially for other teams mostly you, when you see them? Yeah, you know, you know what? I watch as much hockey on TV as I can. Mm. If you have the centerized package or – you make phone calls to their broadcasters, even newspaper people, and say, how do you say this? And uh, that's pretty much it. And then uh, most of the games that I watch are on the, the national TV, like NHL Network has a couple of games. You got TNT, you got ESPN now. So if you watch them, even for a period, you get a sense of who's playing with who, the defensive pairs, who might be playing in goal. And you hear them. And what I try to listen for, to be honest with you, is the name being said four or five times during the broadcast because it might change from the first to second time. So then I make a little note, hey, I got to ask the radio guy how this is uh, pronounced. And you know what? Quite honestly, I think the older you get in the minor leagues, you don't have much help and uh, you just do what the best that you can. But uh, here I basically go in and ask the player myself Mm. and uh, he's going to tell me. And uh, that's the way it is. And if somebody says, well, that's not how you say it. Well, I just went up and talked to him at the morning skate. And uh, then I know that I'm doing it right because you know what? That player might have some family listening. And if I was playing and somebody uh, mispronounced my name instead of Carol, maybe Corral, uh, <laughs> I'd be a little upset, I think. Nobody <laughs> would know that I'm playing. <laughs> Now, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received uh, or one that stands out to you about your work as a play-by-play broadcaster? Maybe something that you've passed along to people that want to become just like you. Well, first of all, I have to tell you this. I was never good athletically, so the advice I got was maybe you should get into broadcasting (laughs) or uh, do some newspaper work or work in the front office. And that's why I had all that experience in the minors with uh, group sales, game night operations, because if I ever lose my voice, I think I can do that and uh, be uh, helpful to somebody. But, uh, you know, I think everything's a learning process. But uh, the one thing that I would say about you know, working for a team like us and whether it's as a broadcaster, radio, TV, PR person is get as much information as you can and talk to people, get to know people from other teams because you never know down the line when you might need them. And that goes for like league people too. And uh, spend the time to go up and shake somebody's hand. Uh, what I did a couple of years ago is before home games, there's always a ton of scouts and a lot of them are former players who were actually on teams I broadcast for, mm-hmm. you know, 30, 40 years ago. So you make that connection. And then on some occasions, not all, you might be inquiring about how a player has been doing or just talk to them about the team. Who's been playing with who? Why did they make this change on the line? Why is this guy now playing with his defensive partner? They've been together for three or four years and you get some insight and then you ask, uh, well, what's, what's this guy? Does he have a chance? A young rookie that's highly thought of? 
maybe struggling at the start in his early NHL days. But I'm hearing from maybe an assistant coach on the other team. I, he knows I'm not going to say anything on the air, but I know that this is what they're working on with him. And uh, maybe keep an eye on in case a play develops where another team scores, this guy's on the ice, and all of a sudden you're going, hmm. And he was right what he told me. Uh, you know, he's got to do some work on this particular aspect of the game. And you wouldn't believe how often that happens. So getting as much information during the season, we're fortunate when we are on the road to have, uh, you know, we stay at some nice hotels. So you get a lot of the hockey games. And there's some days where I'm watching two games and going to NHL Network for highlights. And you have to do that to keep up with what's going on. And mm -hmm. we're fortunate enough too. I mentioned the people that help us in PR in Anaheim, but we have a great coaching staff when it comes to communications with the media. And I'll tell you this point blank, and it's not because he's here, but Dallas Aikens is one of the best people to deal with from a coaching perspective. He takes the time. He always is around and has time for us as team broadcasters and Assistant coach is the same, and guess what? We've always had some really nice young people that played here, veteran players, and I think 99% of the time, uh, we've had just great human beings as kids that have come through the system. And mm -hmm. Some aren't here anymore, but the ones that are, I mean, it's, it's tremendous. We're very lucky to be in we Anaheim are. because we've always had a good group of players. Now, Steve, I think there's also an art to explaining a play during a game, and it's certainly different between TV and radio, or in our case, stream, duck stream. Um, so how have you been able to find yourself, you know, being able to be a storyteller as well as a part of broadcast? Because it is different. Well, you know, as we all know that hockey is a different game, it's pretty quick speed. So you mm -hmm. have to pick your spots. And what's, what's difficult is the fact that during a period, you know, they don't wait very long for the next face off, unless there's some kind of penalty or disagreement with an official, maybe over a call. So you got to pick your spots. But uh, most of my career has been radio. I've done some TV and other sports and a couple of uh, hockey games at a lower level, but the TV people are watching. So you got to make sure you're right most of the time because they're going to say, hey, that's not right. I saw this guy score a goal or he should have gotten a penalty. But I think on the radio side, it's all about being descriptive. In other words, maybe position on the ice, where mm -hmm. the puck is, who has it. Uh, the the most difficult thing, and you you get better at it if you're really intense and don't take your eyes off of it, but you know, the players change a lot, whether it's a 40-second shift, a guy's been out there for a minute 10, but you're trying to catch them while the puck's in play at one end of the rink coming off the bench so you know who might be coming out. But then you also have to be concerned, did they change the line? Because we're trailing in a game 3 nothing. So you're seeing two of the guys have been playing together, but where's that third guy? So you're kind of uh, looking at the entire ice surface to see and what I try to do on occasion is just say who's on the ice on a particular sequence in the game because it might have changed. Uh, now somebody's playing with somebody else. So letting the people know how it's set up, kind of painting a picture in your own mind. And then, uh, you know, we, we have a TV screen up there, and we're not going to catch every penalty as it happens. So you look at a replay up there to kind of do an actual description of how the play developed or why that particular penalty or goal was scored. And 
again, the game's so fast, it happens. And sometimes you're watching it something down at the one side of the rink. And then all of a sudden, maybe a scrap develops at the other end. So you just got to be quick. And to me, the key is not only the pronunciations, but just being familiar with as many players and just drilling into your mind who's wearing this number. Because if you know the number and you're in a broadcast location or site, and there's a lot of bad ones around the league too, you're up so high you can't even see. And the jersey numbers have changed too. It's it's difficult at times mm-hmm. in four or five uh, opposing buildings, I can assure you that. But just drilling those memorizations in so if you have a little struggle with that number, you can't catch it right away, maybe back or front or even up on the uh, shoulder area, you you get a feel for their style. So you're guessing it's got to be that, but you want to make extra sure that you're calling it right. But that's the biggest thing, I think. And uh, again, the game keeps developing. It's quick. It's fast. These are great athletes playing the game on skates and you do the best you can. And here's the other thing I'll tell you. It doesn't hurt if you make a mistake on the air. And uh, TV, it's a little more noticeable, I think, because people see it. They might be watching close. But you know what? We all make mistakes. And uh, with all the traffic in front of goaltenders now, there's five or six guys. It's difficult sometimes to see who might have touched the puck. Right. Get a puck from the point, high slot, and it might have been deflected. Hey, it might have gone off your player. Then it hits the skate or the stick or the defenseman in front. So sometimes you have to wait for the replay to get a feel. That might be the most difficult thing because the puck changes direction so often. Rarely do you get a straight-in shot from way out because somebody's going to deflect it in or get a rebound. But, you know, you just have to do the best you can. And uh, we all make mistakes, but uh, you just see as good as you can. And, uh, again, if you get it wrong, you just say, hey, that puck was redirected by somebody else. And uh, so that's who will get credit for the goal. So. Well, a Ducks game against the Blue Jackets tomorrow. So have you started your prep for Columbus? Yeah, I'm a little scared, <laughs> to be honest with you. You know why? Patrick Line has been playing for Columbus his last game. Uh, he had 16 shots, mm. 10 on goal. So I think we need to do a good job on him, don't mm. you? Yeah. I mean, uh, I would agree with he, that. <laughs> he's a guy that's been, yeah, he's been playing well. Here's the other thing, and it's kind of scary, but Usually when you're playing a team that's not playing well or maybe lost five in a row or six out of the last seven, Columbus is a team that's been besieged by injuries. So that's one. Uh, I think that's really hurt them. Uh, They're a team that won't make the playoffs. They've dropped three in a row based on an 0-2-1 record. Ducks, of course, haven't won a game in the last five, although they came close to Pittsburgh the other night. But you know, you just kind of look at uh, their top people who might be playing Patrick Line and, uh, you know, like trying to make some notes on Johnny Gaudreau uh, when we get off the phone interview. Uh, he's a guy that came over from Calgary, lots of expectations. I'm guessing, based on watching him play and some of the announcer's comments, that may be a little disappointing so far mm-hmm. for them, but he is uh, the leading goal scorer. And uh, he's also actually second uh, the other night. Boone Jenner was first. Uh, he leads the way in the actual point total. So he's doing some good things, but little, uh, you know, tidbits like that. I think that's a team that'll get better, but it's been a tough year as it has been for the Anaheim Ducks. And 
you know, teams like Chicago, for instance. So I think they all try to get better and go in there with the intent of uh, playing a, a better brand of hockey every night. And the one thing you can't do in this game is even if you're a struggling team, you can't take another team for granted when they're mm-hmm. struggling because on a given night, anybody in this league can win a game. And I don't care if you're playing the Stanley Cup champion, Montreal Canadiens who have won cups four or five years in a row. It, it just happens. That's the nature mm-hmm. of the game. Any given night, somebody can be better than what they've been. And uh, you take that into consideration that you go in there knowing that it's a, a tough assignment. And there are no easy nights in the National Hockey League. And uh, I can tell you that. And you just do the best you can. And you don't forget the games you might have lost to that team earlier. It's in the back of your mind. And you're going, hey, we owe this team. And that (laughs) hopefully, since we haven't played Columbus, can't do that, of course, uh, tomorrow. But uh, you know what? That's just some things that I've uh, picked up over the years. And uh, it's pretty good when you're able to travel with a team and get to visit the players and coaches and learn some of their thought processes, preparation for the game keys. And so we're fortunate uh, to sound like experts sometimes <laughs> because uh, it's like us, a learning process, and every day you learn something. Steve Carroll, great to have you on Light the Lamp, and I'm excited to join the crew for Women in Sports Night in Between the Benches, another member of the broadcast crew. You will be terrific, <laughs> and we look forward to having you there. You know what? I'm Thank just you. slide by that event, too, before the game. You know that? And <laughs> say hello to people that I know. So uh, that's good for you guys, and uh, we're going to be happy to have you on that particular night. I guarantee you that. Thank you. Coming up on January 28th, Steve, good luck with the rest of the road trip. We'll see you soon, and have a great call. All right. Well, thanks for the visit. And it's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. The Ducks are back in action on Thursday night against a Columbus Blue Jackets team that they haven't faced this season. And with the day of rest on Wednesday, that being today, the group should be re-energized for the game on Thursday. And they're in my home state of Ohio, hoping the Ducks are able to get a win while they're there. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for more hockey talk next time right here on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.